And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, where through four games of the NBA Finals, the Boston Celtics had been wondering, well, really through three games, actually, we've got two wins, and Steph has been on fire the entire series. What happens when Steph isn't on fire anymore? There's got to be one game, one six of 21, one seven of 22. And given how this series has gone to that point, the Celtics were thinking, that feels like our third win whenever that happens. And then we just need to get one more, a Tatum game, a Brown game, another bad Steph game, Draymond gets ejected, whatever it is. And lo and behold, the Steph bad shooting game came in game five of the NBA Finals. And the Golden State Warriors won it to come within one game of the NBA title. Steph Curry was 7 of 22. Although I think all the focus on the 0 of 9 from 3 and all the Andrew Wiggins hoopla, which we will get to. Andrew Wiggins was fantastic. I counted four separate instances throughout the game where he made isolation twos basically to bail out Warriors possessions that were going nowhere. That's 8 Points from nothing from scratch in a game the Warriors won by 10. Uh, Wiggins has been sensational. Steph Curry, although focused on all that other stuff, 7 of 13 on twos, found ways to beat switches, to score in transition when Derek White pressed up on him, to just get to the bucket, to get fouled. One of my favorite possessions of the series we'll talk about later was a Steph Curry shooting foul drawn. Eight assists, one turnover. And part of the story of game four Uh, And why that was a tight game for a lot of the game before the Warriors won it was Steph Curry had a lot of turnovers out of the pick and roll. I think he had five turnovers, all of which came out of the pick and roll. One turnover. The Warriors had six turnovers in the game to Boston's 18. For the series, for the series, the Warriors are plus 24 in points off turnovers. The Celtics have turned the ball over on 16.3% of their possessions. That would have ranked dead last. Behind the Houston Rockets, who were organizationally trying to lose games in the regular season. For the series, the Celtics offense, some of which by their own self-sabotage, which we will talk about, some of which by outstanding Warriors team defense, is scoring 107 points per 100 possessions. That is equivalent to the Portland Trailblazers 27th ranked offense in the regular season you might remember the portland trailblazers most recently from starting and playing zero players you've ever heard of for the last 20 games of the nba season in an effort to juice their draft pick that's what the warriors have held this celtics offense to they are one win away from the title and as we have learned never ever count out the celtics they're going home i think there's a tendency in in our in our endless uh Submission to the recency effect to start planning the parade. Never count them out. But to help us look at what happened in game five and look ahead to an all-on-the-line game six, one of my favorite guests from Sports Illustrated, and now I'm contractually mandated by a deal that we've signed on paper off-air. His lawyers and agents made me sign it. I'm contractually mandated to call him New York Times best-selling author Chris Herring. How are you? I'm doing really well, Zach. It's good to be with you. How's everything with you? I'm good, man. Um, it's been a strange, a strange finals, and 
And again, the Celtics have had their backs against the wall before, both Game 7 in Miami and Game 6 in Milwaukee, won two road games. For all the panic, for all the focus on how Boston's offense in the first quarter was a disaster, in the fourth quarter was a disaster, in all the ways that Boston's offense is a disaster when they just start to malfunction. Uh, And in the middle two quarters, they found their footing and found the thread and found ways to score points and opened up a lead. For all the focus on all the problems, all the turnovers, everything I just said, all they got to do is win a home game. Win one home game, and then it's all the marbles, winner take all, anything can happen. Derek White has another game, and all of a sudden you're the champions. How do you feel through five games, uh, just big picture, about this series? Do you feel like... The Warriors now, they've solved the Celtics, we don't lose consecutive games thing. Is that demoralized Boston? Are the Warriors ready to pounce now? Do you feel like it's still a toss-up? What's disappointed you about Boston's offense? If anything, go ahead. I think really, and and I said this on um, the podcast I co-hosted, Sports Illustrated, yesterday, um, so much of it just comes down to take out Tatum shooting, take out you know, the the different things with that, how uh, hot Jalen Brown gets. Can the Celtics just take care of the ball? You mentioned it at the very top. The Celtics, I think, had three games all season before this one, playoffs and regular season, where they were minus 10 or worse turning the ball over. They were 0-3 in those games. The Warriors, who obviously are one of the worst turnover teams in the NBA, I think second worst in the league, um, they had one game all season where they were 10 turnovers better than the team they're playing. Of course, it was the Sacramento Kings. Um, they won that game, unsurprisingly. So you can't have that sort of game. I mean, we, you know, everybody kept wondering, when will Steph have a bad game? When will Tatum have a really good one? You saw aspects of that yesterday. It all happened at the same time, and it essentially didn't matter because you can't lose the possession battle to a team like Golden State even when Steph is shooting that poorly, even when Tatum is playing that well, it just doesn't compute. And and I think that's what you saw. So if you look at this series so far, just breaking it down, um, you can tell the story of the series through the assist to turnover ratio. If you're Boston through their top two guys, they won, they, they were 18 assists, six turnovers in game one between Tatum and Brown. Want to guess whether they won or lost that one? Game two, six assists, six turnovers. Game three, 14 assists, four turnovers. Game four, eight assists and eight turnovers. Uh, so you you get to game five, and even though you get a pretty decent J- Jason Tatum game, the, the assist to turnover stuff was still off. Brown had a really, really rough patch as far as taking care of the ball as we got into the second half. Um, he, also, Tatum, he also, I thought, set the tone for, to his credit for Boston's third quarter immediately out of the gates rally oh, yes. by drawing a foul on Clay and then getting a steal and drawing another foul on Clay and then hitting Tatum on a drive and kick three when the Celtics began again continuing what happened in the second quarter to like actually target the right matchups, actually make the right passes, share the ball, trust their teammates. Tatum hits an open three to I think cut it to two or something. So Jalen Brown did have a rough game, but in that stretch, in that two or three minute stretch, this is something he does all the time, even in eh games. I thought he set the tone out of the locker room for the Celtics and they ended up taking a five point lead, which we'll talk about later, but please go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's an aspect of his game that actually the best of what Wiggins was doing yesterday. That's oftentimes how Brown looks as far as just hitting really, really tough 
you know, one-on-one shots. When when Tatum doesn't have it going, he can do that. He obviously can get to the basket. He's a capable enough passer. And Tatum, as we talk about that stretch in the third quarter, that's what you really want to get back to if you're the Celtics is moving the ball, sharing the ball. Tatum had two ridiculous passes in a row where he used his offhand and just flung the ball to the other side of the floor. One he got an assist off of. The other, I think he had a secondary assist off yeah, of. Yeah, that was the one where uh, he hit Grant the Robert Williams, Williams dunk. Where, they, where they loaded to Jason Tatum. I think he had Steph or had maybe, maybe Poole at that point. They got the matchup. Mm-hmm. Again, this is like elementary stuff. Instead of rejecting picks from Jordan Poole's guy or Steph's guy and attacking Wiggins one-on-one, which Jason Tatum did, by my count, three times in the second half, two of which were post-ups that Marcus Smart or somebody came down to set a pick for him in the post. He said, nah, I'm going to spin away and shoot a horrible fading two over this. And there was another possession where he just had the ball on the left sideline against Wiggins. Jalen Brown had Steph Curry on him on the other side of the court. The Celtics have just a chronic issue. They get like five possessions every game where because of cross matches and chaos or whatever, Steph Curry is on Jalen Brown. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to run anything. They have the matchup, and they just ignore it. And on this one, Jason Tatum was just like, I'm going to hold the ball for six seconds and shoot an isolation three over Andrew Wiggins. It was an air ball. The pass you're talking about was got the matchup. Okay. Got the matchup. They're giving you the matchup. 60% of the time, they changed their defense. The Warriors did in game five. They started hedging more with Curry and Poole to try and avoid that switch. With I think it was a really smart surprise that the Warriors kept in the bag for this game, thinking probably Boston just thinks we're switching now. We've switched the first four games for the most part to try to keep them in the mud. Let's bust this out and see if we can catch them by surprise. We'll see if they do it again in game six. Anyway, they get the matchup this time. He drives it. They load the defense, whip the ball to Grant Williams, pump fake Draymond Green, hits Robert Williams for the dunk. Like When they do that, they score. Yeah, it's really not that complicated. And, and, And like you said, even when there are complications, when Jason Tatum shoots as well as he did yesterday, at least to start, that uncomplicates some of your complications. And and so they had a lot of that working for them. Just to put it most simply, it, it felt like a little bit they worked themselves back into the game, even into the lead at the end of the third quarter. Jordan Poole hits a, a circus shot, another one, um, which, man, that was one of the closest ones I can remember as far as a, a buzzer beater and them having to go back and look at whether the ball's up his fingertips. But that shot, I think, was a little bit of a momentum breaker, at least changer for for the moment. And it really felt like maybe I don't know if it was pushing the 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 boulder back up the hill or what it was, or if there was just kind of a uh if they were just content getting there and getting, you know, having finally solved a third quarter in this series, they just didn't have it in the fourth. And um, it was a little bit, dis- you know, from the Boston standpoint, I imagine it had to be really disappointing to get there, to hold Steph to what you limited him to, and to have that outcome. But the turnovers are going to kill you, I think, particularly in a series like this one where you've got such a big size advantage. And if you don't believe that, look at the fact that Kevon Looney was in massive foul trouble early. Robert Williams, look at his plus minus in this game. He's plus, his- Robert Williams is plus 31 for the series. That's the biggest figure on Boston by a lot. They're minus 42 with him on the bench. They just He can't play any more than he's playing, I think, because of right. his knee. But they just haven't been able to, to, to 
I, I don't. It, it's the verticality he brings on both ends of the floor. Even when he's too far back on Steph pick and rolls, Steph is clearly freaked out by the threat of him just leaping into the stratosphere and blocking his shots. And I think one of the other stories of last night's game, just to pivot off, we're just going to be random today, Chris, just to pivot off what you're saying. <laughs> um, I was very surprised, and I don't even necessarily think it was the right move or the wrong move. I, I kind of didn't like it in real time, but I, I don't know if I can argue with it, that the Celtics completely abandoned small ball in the second half until the game was out mm-hmm. of control and they put Grant Williams at center. And in Ime Odoka's defense, their best small ball lineup, which is Horford, Smart, Brown, Tatum, White, is minus 18 in 46 minutes. Horford had a blah game yesterday. White did nothing. Uh, and, by the way, the second best plus minus on the Celtics, you know who it is? Uh, I'm going to cheat because I've got mine up. Well, that's so not fair. Like... You're stealing my thunder now. <laughs> uh, well, go ahead then. I won't steal your thunder, but I'm looking at it. Peyton yeah. Pritchard, who... I don't even remember if Peyton Pritchard played at all in the second half. It seems like yeah. maybe no. Um, I feel like I I understand why. I understand the reluctance. He's the weak link people are going to pick on, even though he, Peyton Pritchard is not giving you anything. you got to take it from him, but he's just he's undersized. Not, I, I yeah. think he should play. I'm not saying Peyton Pritchard needs to play like 30 minutes. I just think like they go away from him too quickly for my taste. And I think that – part of what he's good at influences what the Celtics need to win this series, which again is ball movement. You're more likely to be able to swing the ball a little bit when you've got the space. You're more likely to have space when you have him on the court. So he's basically the only guy of all the guys that played anywhere near five minutes in this game. He was the only one that was even that had an even plus minus. He was at zero yesterday. Um, And everybody else was, I guess Marcus Smart was minus nine. You've got Tatum who was a minus 13. That's the best you've got other than Robert Williams, who was the plus 11. So, I mean, they, what does that mean? I guess they were 21 points worse when Williams was on the bench yesterday. But, it, yeah, I good mean, math. that's good. Point, that's good math. The, the point I was making when I mentioned Williams to begin with was just that you can't lose a game. You can't lose a possession battle when you've got that much of a size advantage when Looney's out. I mean, there were a couple things that happened. We haven't even mentioned Draymond, who I kept saying on Open Floor on our podcast at SI, you don't even need a big Draymond game. You need him to score three or four baskets. That's literally all you need. And guess what he did yesterday? I think he had three baskets. He had the eight points, but he did it to start the game at a time where Looney was out. You know, when, when Looney would come out early, he just set the tone very quickly. Steph didn't touch the ball for the first couple possessions. And so really the tone was set immediately in, in this game by, by Draymond coming out the way he did um, and Wiggins coming out the way he did, you saw very early what the tone was going to be. Steph didn't have to be a massive part of everything this time. Obviously, he's still getting guys open. He's still making the I was right going to say, he, he's always a massive part of everything, even sure. when it don't seem like he's a massive part of everything. Going back to the, you know, what Boston's defense is so... The thing about this series, it doesn't... It's the best kind of ugly pretty. These defenses are so good that the opposing offense has to work so, so hard to get any kind of open look, even like just an okay open look. Like Clay Thompson, the two threes Clay Thompson hit late in the third quarter, to me, might have been the two biggest shots of the game. Boston was up five when he hit the first one and four when he hit the second one. One of them but was against great defense. Grant Williams just kind of stumbled a little bit, switching on to Clay, got back up to contest. Like, that's all it takes. But my point that I was making was these these offenses, 
all the easy stuff is gone. They have to work so hard to open up a mediocre look to the point when about Steph's involvement and everything, when one of those split actions finally works, when the Celtics mess it up a little bit and Wiggins gets kind of like a rampaging high-flying layup with about seven and a half to go in the fourth quarter, you have this like revelation like, oh yeah, that's what the Warriors look like against almost everybody else. We haven't seen that (laughs) in this series because the Celtics defense is so good and so is the Warriors. And about Draymond, I thought his defense at the rim was outstanding all game long. And one of the traps the Celtics fell in in the first quarter, I I can remember a Derek White drive that comes to mind when uh, the Warriors hedged a Derek White screen and he slipped and drove. I can remember a Tatum drive in the fourth quarter. One of the mistakes they made, I thought, was trying Draymond Green at the rim when he was ready early. Instead of making the easy kickout pass to an open shooter in the corner, White had Smart, I think, in the left corner. And Tatum had Brown in the right corner. And if Draymond's ready, those are really tough finishes. And he's going to knock him out of the air or just be vertical. I thought his defense was outstanding. And on Looney, let's take a second. The two unsung heroes of this series for the Warriors. And they ain't, they're ain't they not going to be unsung much longer. Kevon Looney is plus 48 for the series in 108 oh minutes. They're like plus a point every two minutes Kevon Looney is on the floor. Here's an interesting stat, Mr. Herring. With Draymond Green on the floor, Kevon Looney and Draymond Green are plus 25 together. Um, That starting lineup, the old starting lineup, has been the Warriors' best lineup all series long. Kevon Looney with Draymond Green on the bench, so just Looney is the only big man, the Warriors are plus 23 in 50 minutes. That was the lineup that kind of closed game four for them when they benched Draymond before they brought him back in. The opposite kind of minutes, the Draymond at center minutes, the minutes we associate with Golden State's dominance, minus 21 Draymond without Looney in 117 minutes. Looney has been fantastic on defense too. The Celtics are bringing him out to the perimeter on purpose. They're saying, even if it's not, you saw it over and over again, we're not necessarily attacking you. We're going to bring you out to the perimeter with our first action just to get you out of the way. And then we'll go into our second action so you're up at the perimeter and then the lane's a little bit more open. When they do attack him on the perimeter, he's held up all right. He even poked the ball away from Tatum and out of bounds at some point. And the other unsung hero, Gary Payton II. The dude broke his elbow in the second round of the playoffs. Broke his elbow. Helped swing game two of this series in 25 minutes. Played 20 minutes combined in games three and four. And as Steve Kerr's plugging holes, trying to figure it out, can I get Peyton and Wiggins on the floor at the same time so that Draymond can spend more time around the rim on defense so that those two guys can guard the Jays? Six of eight shooting, 15 points, three steals, including a clean pick of Jalen Brown, in 26 minutes, the man was applying for a job as video coordinator for the Golden State Warriors. That's like a job I would apply to for the Golden State Warriors. He was applying for that job like six months ago. He broke his elbow a month ago. 
He was one of the unsung heroes. They don't win this game. They don't win game two. And if they win this series, they don't win the series without a dude who was applying for a video coordinator job. Hat tip to Malika Andrews for getting that out of him at a great uh, sideline interview at practice the other day in Boston. And broke his elbow. Chris, if I broke my elbow a month ago, I would be out of the neighborhood wiffle ball games for like four months. This dude's playing in the NBA Finals against Marcus Smart, who's going to knock you on your ass. It's just an incredible story. I wouldn't even – I would be DNP for podcasting even. You know, I just – no, I'm not doing it. But, uh, yeah, and, and and as you mentioned Draymond and as you mentioned Peyton, I, I immediately think of at least one, maybe there were two of them, where Draymond had a couple of pinpoint passes that he threw back door, including one to Peyton that was just beautiful. It's – the two of them at their best. You're really not expecting Draymond to provide a lot of scoring. You're expecting him to see the floor well, to take advantage of the four on threes, which that, that beautiful fake handoff he had for the dunk oh, yesterday. Oh, the keeper, was when he gets the keeper. Again, it's, it's one of those things like, oh, the Warriors usually look, they get that sometimes. Yes, yes. And, and, and him looking to be aggressive enough to make it work because I kind of feel like that's what Boston has relied on is Draymond's not going to shoot anyway, or if he is – let him take it. But if he's that aggressive, there's really no answer if you're overplaying Steph. But Gary Payton, why it was so stunning that he didn't play in game one, obviously he was still probably recovering from, from the elbow. And we all know that. We all can look at that and tell that. But you figured he was going to be a factor in the series because in a series where Boston is trying to do everything right, they're playing the game of defensive minesweeper, trying to make sure they don't get blown up by Steph and, and leaving too much space with him. Obviously you're concerned about that after giving up 43 to the guy. So you're going to be looking up along the arc the whole time. It's going to invite guys like Clay and Gary Payton to go back door, which is what they love doing anyway. And so Payton, knowing that, Payton getting out in transition, Payton being the difference maker that he is on defense was just massive in this game. And 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 like you said, with those two and the sort of game they had, uh, when you get eight out of Draymond and when you're getting 15 out of Gary Payton, you get 23 points between those two guys. You can better absorb a, a, an off game, an off night from Steph, not to even mention Wiggins taking over, not just scoring what he did, because this was on some level, statistically, at least from a scoring standpoint, this was like a Wiggins game in, in Minnesota. It's okay to have 26 on 23 when you're playing alongside Steph against this sort of defense. Instead, he was getting the points in, in tough ways in possessions where they had nothing else going and he's just making something happen. Um, it was just a massive game from a number of guys. And and like I said, the, literally the first couple possessions of this game where Draymond is playing aggressively and then on the, on the flip side, Boston turning it over on literally their first possession. All the struggles Boston had from the free throw line, which really hurt. Ooh, 21 of 31. It, 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 that Brutal. hurt. Tatum had an 0 for 2 at a big, big time. Sometimes they just feel bigger tatum's over mm -hmm. two felt bigger spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days it's also the best time of year to take a new look at your fitness routine dial it up a notch and continue powering on pelotons varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay, full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes 
Hashtag vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. You mentioned Clay I and Peyton. Peyton hit a corner three in this game. It came off a clay, really aggressive drive by Al Horford on his switch. Kicked to Peyton in the strong side corner. Now look, a guard beating Al Horford off the dribble, not necessarily the greatest achievement in modern NBA history. But Al Horford's pretty damn mobile for a big man. And the guard who beat him off the dribble tore his ACL and then tore his Achilles and just scored 21 points in an NBA Finals game, including two threes that, again, I thought were two of the biggest shots of the game when it looked like Boston, you know, when Boston's playing the right way on offense and their chests are puffed out, they just look so big and tough, like they're imposing their will on the game. And that's what it felt like when Clay hit those shots. His defense, whether it was on Horford or Jalen Brown, and the Warriors have reached the point where they're okay putting him on either of those. They're confident. He's disrupted a couple of Jalen Brown backdoor cuts in the last two games for turnovers. I think, look, Clay's only shooting 38% for the series, but he's 37% on three. There's been a lot of scrutiny on his game this season because he's not, quote, the same Clay. I've said all year long, considering the circumstances, he's been outstanding. I thought he was outstanding again last night. Even I think he had five points at the half. I thought he played a good first half, particularly defensively. I thought he was tough, and he started to make shots in the second half. Other than the botched two-on-one when Steph ran for a three instead of just taking a layup, and the and the and the announcer yeah. crew just they they went uh, they were disappointed <laughs> in uh, in that yeah. action. And, and, and Clay did it despite some some foul trouble too. I mean, and that was the irony is that a, a couple guys had it. Um, Draymond, you know, eventually I think ended up fouling out. Um, and they tried to review it, but Clay's been huge. And I mean, this is this is what you hoped for when you were more or less trying to let Clay find his way back. And and it was there was a push pull all season, I think, with the idea that you had Poole ascending the way he was. Uh, I I think it's good that Golden State has had the success they've had, and that they've had so much of it with Clay because you were going to let him feel his process out. He did not look like a wonderful fit to to start things out this season when he came back. It it makes sense given how much time he missed. He didn't look in rhythm. Hell, there have been moments in this series where he has not looked in rhythm, especially at the beginning. Early early series just forcing 20-footers over Jalen Brown. I mean, he I remember the the like the turnaround three from the wing that he t- it was just like one of the ugliest most out of rhythm 
shots I've seen in a game on that stage that wasn't like garbage time. It, it was not garbage time at all when he took that shot, but just nothing was falling. Nothing looked like it was comfortable for him. Um, he's looked solid these last couple games. They've needed it. Uh, Poole has had some big plays, obviously, and he's Poole, had some Poole's good done enough. Clearly, they don't trust him defensively to play as many minutes as I think a lot of us anticipated he would play in every series before the playoffs. The pool party lineup is essentially no more. But in the last two games, he's made the most of his minutes and made the kind of shots like Wiggins. I, I wrote a big feature on Wiggins last week, and I cut a quote from Kerr that I shouldn't have cut in retrospect. Um, and I was talking in the story about how Wiggins gives the Warriors the ingredient they need, which is when the beautiful game isn't working, you need one or two guys who can just scrounge something from nothing. Obviously, Durant was like the apex of that guy and like way overqualified to be that guy. Wiggins has been that guy, and Kerr talked about how in the 2016 finals, they didn't have that guy, and the Cavs essentially shut their offense down. And Wiggins and Poole are those guys for them. The injection of sort of randomness and and one-on-one shot making. When it looks bad, it looks bad. But the Warriors need it because every playoffs you're going to come across one defense that is like all your cute stuff, eight out of ten times it ain't working. Yeah, and, and especially, you know, <laughs> you watch Steph have 43 on what we thought perceived might be a, a, a bum ankle a, a hindered ankle at the very least and so after watching him do that you know we rightfully so think the guy is superman think he's not human um he had a game where he was human you needed other guys to just step up and you know to be honest with you when you look at boston uh, steph might have been tired a lot of his shots were short uh, I, I commented on Twitter yesterday that Breen had three or four way offs yesterday. He 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 was polite enough to not hit Steph with one of those, but Steph was way off on a lot of his shots. And at one point, he did say he did miss a shot by quite a bit. Uh, the Celtics had that towards the end of the game, too, and it made me wonder if somebody like Tatum only sat two minutes or so before garbage time opened up. Um, he had a lot of shots that just didn't hit anything. Um, and it started to make you wonder whether these guys are just exhausted. It would be understandable, uh, even with the breaks and with the gaps in the series, that you're just exhausted having to play against a defense that is defending you that way. Steph might be feeling it. Jason Tatum might be feeling it. Um, but I, I will also say that the Celtics just, at a certain point, um, and I know every team does it, every team has it, but they were just complaining so much. And I, I don't know if it was that they felt the game was slipping away, something that they finally felt like they fought back from. Um, getting it close and taking the lead being down one at the end of the third. But uh, I know Yudoka was, was pleading with them to just stop complaining, stop arguing. But uh, there was, it just seemed like they were mentally exhausted, physically exhausted to some extent. And I did think that going away from the small lineup, I know what the numbers show. Uh, my, my colleague, uh, Michael Pina pointed out that Derek White missed a couple of open threes. And after he missed those, that Yudoka pulled him. And, you know, Horford did not play a particularly great game. So it did kind of feel like a game where maybe if you go with Grant Williams here, that almost might be the better option. Uh, he decided to, to go with the traditional, more traditional lineup instead. And uh, they just didn't have enough left in the tank. I didn't like it at the time, just going completely away from it. But again, I, I can't argue with it. I thought Derek White's threes... There was one in the second quarter that came off a nice Marcus Smart drive. He was wide open. I thought he should have shot that three. He just missed it. I thought that was a good process by the Celtics. Um, look, it's only 3-2. Two. 
Celtics just got to win a home game. We've seen this before. But this series has not – almost nothing about this series has surprised me. If you go back and read my preview piece, I picked Warriors in seven. And I'm glad you mentioned fatigue because one of the reasons I picked Warriors in seven was the Celtics have just come through these two bloodbaths against the Bucks and the Heat. Mm-hmm. Physical, nasty teams. Smart's banged up. Tatum's banged up. Time Lord's banged up. And fatigue isn't just physical. Tatum's approaching 1,000 minutes in the playoffs. Just the playoffs already. He's at 943 minutes in the playoffs. Jalen Brown's right there. Smart would be right there if he hadn't missed games, a couple of games. Um, It's not just physical fatigue. Mental – J.J. Reddick said something on TV that I thought was really smart. He talked about Golden State's competitive stamina. They've been on this stage so many times. They know what it feels like. They know how hard it is against great defenses. They have more competitive stamina than the Celtics, who I think slip back into stretches of offense that are just, I don't want to say lazy because it's not lazy. I think it's just hazy and taking the easy way out and going with what feels comfortable to great players who have always been the best player on the floor their entire career. And it just doesn't work well enough against an elite defensive team. And I do think the Celtics, player for player at full health, are the better team. But I picked Warriors in seven because of fatigue and because of turnovers. And those are the issues that have come back to haunt the Celtics over and over again. The other thing is the Warriors are shooting 54% on twos. The Celtics are shooting 46% on twos. They just haven't been able to find any rhythm in the mid-range or at the basket. And you throw on the turnovers and the transition points, and it's edge Golden State, it's only plus 11 through five games, so it's a small edge. But the Warriors now have two to win one in what would be a kind of a crowning moment, I think, in in Steph Curry's career uh, in particular. Oh, no question. I, I mean, yeah, and, and not to belabor this too much, but I think as we talk about the turnover totals, it's easy enough to look at the fact that Boston had almost 20 in, in a game like this. It's easy enough to look at, I think, Golden State had 22 points off those or whatever it was. Um, Golden State rarely, if ever, commits six. Again, this is one of the biggest turnover teams in the league. So maybe that's part of what it was, too, is that Boston is used to getting, especially from this team, is used to getting more turnovers to feed off of and to try to score off of in an easier fashion. So maybe it's one of those things where, like, okay, we're – it's hard to run your offense in half court the whole game too. It's very difficult to do that, to not be able to run. To to your point, both of these half court offenses have been really stymied. They're both scoring almost exactly the same rate, according to cleaning glass, about 20th, 21st, 22nd in the regular season. The difference is golden States getting out in transition a lot and scoring well in transition. The Celtics transition numbers, I'd have to dive into what's happening to them in transition are like, Almost alarming to the point that I thought cleaning the glass was like it was a typo or I was misreading it due to lack of sleep. Their points per possession in transition, they're not getting out much anyway. Their points per possession, the Celtics in transition, are so far beyond last in the NBA in the regular season that I'd actually like to watch their what qualifies as transition to see what in the hell is going on because probably some of it is turnovers, so they've got a lot of zero-point transition, zero-shot 
transition possessions. But man, that's that's the difference in the series. The half court offenses. This is the revenge of the defense. The re- these are the two best defensive teams in the league. This has been a defensive series, and the half court offenses for the most part have been stymied. Sometimes by their own making, but nothing is binary at this level. It's not just Boston throwing the ball away or taking bad shots. It's Boston facing a very good defense, super smart, makes you feel uncertainty, fantastic weak side help team that makes you think, oh my God, do I throw the weak side pass? Do I throw the lot? Oh my God, I got to take a mid-ranger. They're just, this is great defense. Yep. That's what it comes down to. So I'm, I'm really amped to watch game six. (laughs) Part of me is thinking, it's over because, you know, if you had Wiggins game five, then we all know who comes in game six and who who, who lives for game sixes and clay. Um, but, you know, we aren't even used to seeing Boston drop two in a row in the playoffs. So the idea that they would lose three, uh, you feel like Boston may have something that they're capable. That's really all you can say in the series. We haven't had anything go like normal as planned necessarily, aside from your preview, as you mentioned, um, but, you know, it's it's been a weird series. It's twice now that Boston has had two runs of eight threes in a row that they've made. Crazy. Uh, it's crazy. It's crazy like, to think that they didn't here? win that game. They missed their yeah. first 12 or something, and then they made eight in a row. I'm like, this is crazy. I mean, the law of averages is, like, working out in a really scary way in this series. Um, but, but, you know, for all that said, Boston obviously is capable. They're going back home, or obviously they're more comfortable seemingly. Draymond's more uncomfortable. Uh, so I, I can't wait for it. It's it's been an it's been a really interesting and it's been a really good series considering that uh, just looking at the box scores, you you still have not had a single digit game yet technically, uh, but it's certainly been a better series than that and certainly an entertaining series. Yeah, Boston. Like I said, you win a game like Game Six in Milwaukee with your season on the line with the best player in the NBA, arguably. I I think he's probably taken that mantle now in Giannis scoring forty four points and you win that game. You've proven something forever. That game lasts forever. You've proven your your clutch, your guts, your whatever. But I do think it's interesting that the consecutive game thing has been snapped. And I wonder if Boston, who's been so proud of its resourcefulness, if it's responding to every loss with a win no matter where the game is, I wonder if I, even on some subconscious level that begins to sow doubt about Man, this team we're facing is like relentless. They don't go haywire like like we do. They just run their stuff, run their stuff, run their stuff. I I just wonder how that feels to them to finally lose consecutive games for the first time in ages. And I, without looking at their schedule, I would assume that they have not lost three games in a row since they turned their season around in mid January. Have they? I haven't checked. I assume they have not. I, I haven't looked either, but. Just from the sound of it, no, uh, because every time I looked at the standings, they were you know ascending and, and passing teams on the way t- toward the top of the you know the East. So I have to imagine that it's been at least you know you'd have to go back to at least January would be my guess. But you know, look again, consecutive losses it, it stings when you haven't had that in a while. Um, my my biggest question, and I think the announcers even said it last night is that I think Van Gundy said that it felt like the third quarter, the end of the third quarter bled into the start of the fourth for the Celtics. And the idea that so far in the series, you know, up until yesterday, all Golden State, those third quarters, those haymakers get thrown and you normally just watch the other team just fall. Uh, Obviously, Boston came back and had the ridiculous fourth quarter in game one, but there was something to the resilience uh, that, that Golden State showed 
after taking that punch and still ending up with the lead at the end of that quarter, even though Boston had that furious comeback. Um, I don't know if that alone was kind of just a, a big enough uh, show of being able to take a punch and and whether that kind of had a role. I, again, I think it was probably just fatigue, but I think both of us have said this now. Some of that was mental. It felt that way, at least um, when you looked at, you know, guys just kind of falling apart a little bit in terms of the shot, that every shot falling short for Tatum, I think with the exception of maybe one or two uh, that he took. The free throws were still a struggle. The technical fouls that were happening during what was still a relatively close game. Um, can't so give we'll away see. a point. It, can't give away a point in the finals at this stage. It's only a point. You just can't give it away. Especially when you are turning the ball over as much as you are, especially when you're struggling at the line so much yourself. Uh, so it just, you know, it Boston – made too many mistakes in this game, which is what it comes down to. If they can limit their mistakes, which, again, they're capable of, you would hope that they're more capable of it at home. Um, I'm I'm not ready to count them out. Certainly for game six, I'd be a little bit surprised if they win the series at this point, but crazier crazier things have happened even, even as it relates to the Warriors in the finals, so I'm, I'm not willing to count the Celtics out. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream. Your team. Call 1 800 DirectTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com, or just stop by. One of the things that has surprised me in this series, I mentioned it before, was through four games and after facing Luka Doncic in the conference finals and hedging slash trapping slash whatever terminology you want, every time they tried to put Curry in the pick and roll, the Warriors entered this series and said, we're going to switch. We're just going to switch. We'll put Curry on Tatum a lot. Not every time, but a lot. And A, have faith in Curry, who's been strong in this series. Strong. Held up pretty strong. Now, not only that, but we're going to shade help toward you. And we're going to make you see bodies and play in a crowd. And we're going to bet on our ability to force you into some turnovers. And that bet has largely paid off. And in Game 5, they started to hedge and trap a a lot more, frankly, than they had in the first four games. And I think that was a calculated switch to try to surprise Boston. And you could see the Celtics kind of digest it. Derek White slipped a screen, like I mentioned before. Smart slipped a screen, and 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 their the Warriors' rotations behind that were fantastic. I also liked when the Celtics would, when they saw those hedges coming, put a shooter or a perimeter player really high on the wing as like an easy kick for Tatum to make, like a release valve. They call it shorting the pick and roll, and Dan, it's a D'Antoni term, and. Let that guy then drive. And I actually think the Celtics missed some opportunities to go like triangular passing sequences, like hit that guy and then have that guy hit the roller down the lane. You can bet Boston will be ready for that in game six. But 
the chess matches, like Golden State may say, we showed you that once. We're not showing it to you again. Go ahead and prepare, right. go ahead and prepare for it. Waste your time. We might not do it again. Right. It, it also puts a decent amount of pressure. I mean, this is maybe not any more pressure than what they've had. Uh, if they do show you that again, certain guys have to play better, frankly. I, I think Horford is probably easily one of those guys that you would have to kind of expect a little bit more from if you're going to rely on the guys that are kind of on the wing in the corner. Uh, Marcus Smart played well enough in this game, uh, but he was also somebody that I think did grow a little bit frustrated at certain points. I liked that he was willing to back down some of the matchups that he had. It was very clear that they were making a point to target Jordan Poole at times, and I liked that aspect of they of the did. Game they did better. They didn't let Poole off the hook nearly as much in this game no, as they had in game four. Yeah, and even one or two plays where Poole wasn't the primary defender, he was still involved in the action. And, you know, they made a couple of really smart passes to kind of uh, just high-low stuff to to Robert Williams that was really nice um, standing there back toward the rim. But they're, they're going to need more from those guys anyway. Like, you could specify it to the way that Golden State is defending them. But I think Al Horford was always going to be a really big key in this series. And I think it's still playing out so far that when he's had double digits – in the series they've won, and when he hasn't, they've lost. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's going to be fascinating to watch just what sort of lift does does Boston get from from playing back at home? Um, how do they respond from from this? This was a, this was a big punch. It was a somewhat of a punch to to lose Game Four, um, but to go and have an opportunity going into the fourth to take Game Five, and just kind of watching it unravel on you uh, without Steph playing well. Um, how do they respond to that punch? This is a team that hasn't been on this stage against one that has. And so I th- I think the most fascinating question would have been if Golden State finds itself down 3-2, how do they respond? This is a team that has more experience in this in this scenario, at least in the finals. Uh, it's a tougher climb, I think, for Boston that doesn't have that experience. How do they respond as a, a somewhat young team, at least with some young key pieces? We got 48 hours to stew on it. Let's stew on some other stuff. Once a team hits three wins in the finals, I will allow for discussion of finals MVP. I will not allow it after game two. I will not allow it after game three. Only when there's three wins. I won't allow it when it's 2-2. I'll tolerate it when it's 2-2. I won't like it, but I'll tolerate it. Now I will allow it. Mr. Herring, in the wake of Andrew Wiggins' sensational performance last night, there was a wave, not quite a tidal wave, but a nice white cap of, whoa, is Andrew Wiggins the finals MVP? Andrew Wiggins has played really well. He's defended Jason Tatum very well, mostly the, the entire series, averaging 18 points and nine rebounds a game on 46% shooting. The Warriors are plus 24 with Wiggins on the floor, minus 13 when he's off the floor. Is he going to Andre Iguodala the finals MVP from Steph Curry if the Warriors win? What say you, Chris Herring? No. I, I mean, it's a it, – it's a – Okay question to ask. I'd probably be more okay with it if it weren't within the context of Steph still hasn't gotten one yet. No. I mean, Steph, up until last night, and last night was a, a was a poor game for him. We've seen people have worse games. It's not, it wasn't like, it wasn't brutal. It was just, I thought, like I said no. before, 7 of 13 on twos, 8 assists, right. 1 turnover. I thought it was an, un- and decent defense. I thought it was an underrated game. It was it was fine, and I I think that you know we're just used to more out of him. This was the first time in four years we hadn't seen Steph make a three, and uh and and again like it's not normal that we see him have more shots than points, 
but whatever. But up until last night, which they still managed to win in part because of Steph. And, and keep in mind, Wiggins is only getting a lot of the looks he's getting, or at least a lot of the looks he's getting because he also plays on a team with Steph Curry. So up until game five, I thought Steph was actually beginning to create a conversation in which if this series went seven and Steph had played as well as he did in the first four games for all seven games, even if they lost, I think he would have had a pretty decent argument to win finals. I still think he does, Chris, even if they lose, if his next two games are good. So, so that's where I'm at. And if you're even in that conversation, you know, sorry to this man in terms of Andrew Wiggins. I like, no, he's, he's been incredible on the glass. He has been incredible in creating something out of nothing, which I guess clay is really the only other guy you've really been able to expect that from at times in this series. You haven't gotten that and much Steph, out of it. And from, Steph, Steph will create something no, and switches. I'm sorry. I, 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 I was assuming that we were kind of, Steph obviously gotcha. has been able to do that. So um, Steph is clearly the, the finals MVP if Golden State wins. Like you were saying, it might be an argument for him to win even if they don't get the series. Uh, I would imagine that you'll have some really heroic performance from one of the top two guys from Boston if they don't. So I, I, don't, I wouldn't bet on that, but I don't think Wiggins has a, a legitimate case here. I just don't. Now, that was a great game that, you know, I, I even tweeted about this yesterday. I feel like it will be forgotten by a lot of people, not Warriors fans, not people within that organization, not that team, not analysts that study this for a living. But um, the reason it will be forgotten about is because Steph is having a, a great, uh, on some level, historically great series when we talk about the way he shot the ball prior to yesterday. So he's going to deserve it if, if and when he does win it, if and when the Warriors do win it, he'll fully deserve it. I don't want to really even entertain serious conversations of, uh, of Wiggins or anybody else getting it. I'm all right mentioning Andrew Wiggins. Chris, the correct answer is no, Andrew Wiggins is not the MVP of the finals through five games. <laughs> Steph Curry is the MVP of the finals through five games. That's the, that's the bullet point. <laughs> and it's, it's not close. Steph Curry, yes. Steph Curry is averaging 30.6 points a game, five and a half rebounds, four and a half assists on 47% shooting, 42% on threes, a massively disproportionate amount of which have been pull-up threes because of what the Celtics have done to the beautiful game stuff. They are plus 27 with Curry on the floor, minus 16 when he's off the floor. Their offensive rating with Curry, 117 points per 100 possessions. That would have been number one in the league. Without Curry... 86 points per 100 possessions, which would be Gross. like you don't even get into the G League. Um, so yeah. to me, and, and when and when Curry does rest at the beginning of the second and the fourth, it's the kitchen sink lineup with, okay, Steph's off the floor. We need all of our other best players on the floor at the same time. Nothing even close to like a normal bench lineup. It's Poole, Thompson, Wiggins, Draymond, Looney, or Porter instead of Looney. It's everybody. We need all the reinforcements. Steph's out. Come on. We need everybody. Please, somebody make some shots. Get on the floor. Steph Curry through five games is the MVP. However, the series is not over, as you mentioned, as we have mentioned. The other topic I want to get into is um, when the Warriors were down 2-1 in this series. And I mentioned this in the I Couldn't Get a Guest in Time solo podcast I did between games three and four uh, with myself. I was my own guest. I invited myself onto my own podcast. Um, Glad you didn't turn it down. Yeah, I I didn't have anything better to do, um, it turns out. Uh, And... There was this this drumbeat of, well, Moody's not playing. 
Kaminga is not playing. Wiseman is somewhere. Um, did the Warriors blow? They're losing two to one. They seem like they're a guy short. Did they blow it by not trading the young guys and some picks or some other salary filler, which we'll get to, for a veteran to help this team? Because if boy, oh boy, if they lose this championship, they're going to regret that. And my reaction was, I didn't. I said this on that podcast. That I don't think that's fair because they're in the finals. By definition, they have a good chance to win the NBA title. And my other question was, who? Who's the guy? It's easy to say, well, they should have got a guy. They should have got a veteran. Well, who? Now, are you talking about like a, a Derek White kind of trade where you trade a couple of future firsts and, or one Moody plus a pick for somebody like Derek White? Okay, fine. That's one thing. Identify the guy then. I think most people are talking about a guy guy, a capital G guy. And so my answer is like, is who? And the popular names were Bradley Beal. That's, that was the name that was mentioned over and over again. Well, I got news for you. Was it ever realistic? A, B, um, Beal plus Clay plus Steph is going to be a tough sell defensively. C, Wiggins is going out in that deal. Wiggins is the salary filler in that deal. The guy that some people are saying should be the MVP of the finals for guarding Jason Tatum and scoring 18 points. He's the salary filler. And if that's not enough, the other salary filler might be Looney, who's plus 48 in the finals. Ben Simmons? That was a name. Ben Simmons didn't play basketball this year. Side note, didn't play basketball. The guy, again, that would have been salary filler in that trade was Andrew Wiggins, who's currently playing basketball quite well. Then there were the Indiana big men, Miles Turner and Domas Sabonis, who in theory you could have gotten without including Looney or Wiggins. Kuminga plus Wiseman or something like that just about gets you to the salary. I checked with Bobby Marks for either of those guys. The Warriors looked at those. I know they did, at least internally, and they concluded the following. We're super high on Kaminga and Moody. We don't view these as like just fungible young guys. We love these guys. Moody, by the way, played a, 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 I don't want to say a key role, but real minutes for them in the conference finals. Like yesterday, we all forgot about that. Moses Moody was pretty good in the conference finals. I thought he was going to play in the finals. I'm kind of surprised he hasn't. Um, we, we like those guys. We don't think Sabonis can defend well enough to be on the floor against great, great offenses. Now, right or wrong. I think that's what the Warriors... The Warriors thought Sabonis can play our style of offense. He's a he's a hub. He's a good passer. Probably wants the ball a little too much in the post for how we play. But defensively, we don't know. Miles Turner sounds great. Would he have helped them? Probably here or there he would have. He's a really good three-point shooter and a really good shot blocker. I know the Warriors' questions were... Does this guy have the feel to play our style of offense? Defensively, we have no questions. Three-point shooting, we would have no questions. The way we play, the posts, the splits, the cuts, like that's not how Miles Turner plays. Miles Turner with the ball in space is kind of an adventure. And I'm not sure that we, the Warriors, want to want to sell a, a, a guy that we think might be a future critical 3 and D role player for us or a future something kind of special maybe. In Kaminga for Miles Turner, so like you can go back. Who are the rebuild? Who are the guys on rebuilding teams that are going to help you? Jeremy Grant. You want to trade Andrew Wiggins for Jeremy Grant as salary filler? O- okay, I mean, why? What is that doing? So I I understand that Kaminga, Moody, and Wiseman have done nothing in this series. I said it after Game Three. I don't think that criticism is fair. I think win or lose this series, 
the Warriors have been redeemed for not reaching in those kind of senses. Now, could they have found a Derek White kind of trade? Maybe. I'd have to go through the league and sort of scour who that is. You know, what what sort of role player other than Derek White on a blah team are you getting that's changing your life? And what are you trading for? You're not trading Jonathan Kaminga or Moses Moody for a Derek White. That's just not a good trade. You're trading draft assets and dead money like the Celtics did. I, I think even if those guys provide nothing, the Warriors have been redeemed for this level of decision-making, which look like stubbornness to some, but like I just don't know... Who, who, if you're, I don't know who the guy was. I don't know. Do you, is there any other guys? Not off the top of my head. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go one further than you for this. If, if they win one of the next two games, you know, close the book on who those other guys would have been anyway, because now you've, I mean, if it was already a question or if it's still a question, you've cemented a dynasty. It would be four titles in eight years. Um, and and you still have the flexibility that if you decide you want to change things on the fly, you still can do it. So I never would have been in favor of the idea of moving everybody or moving most of those guys to get one star uh, unless it's just like a total two-way star sort of player, like a Durant-caliber sort of guy. And by the way, anyway. on Sabonis, the Kings got Tyrese Halliburton for DeMontis Sabonis. The Warriors don't have Tyrese Halliburton. Just a footnote. Right. So I, I, I never really would have, especially as you talk about something like Beal. Um, I'm the sorry, the Pacers issues. got Tyrese Halliburton. I misspoke. Go ahead. I knew what you meant. That's okay. Uh, but, you know, someone like Beal who is not playing the level of two-way ball that would have helped you in this series in particular uh, and creates enough questions about – it's a beautiful – amount of shooting that you would have, which is what the Warriors are accustomed to. But you have Poole, who emerged this year anyway. Um, so I just don't – I don't know. I, I would have been okay with a, a smaller trade. Like you said, someone like on the level of a Derek White. Um, you saw that that tweak was really enough to help put Boston over the top in the East. Um, has been helpful at times in this series. But, no, I don't – obviously, they didn't need to. I think if you could at least get yourself to the finals, that's probably enough by at least guaranteeing a game seven and, and at this point being favored to win the whole thing, um, it's going to be really nice to have a cupboard full of assets. Or if these guys develop and and become something greater, you this is kind of what you, on some level, it, it becomes a little bit of the Spurs model to some extent, which everybody's been trying to figure out how to tap into that, where you've got multiple windows to try to really expand this thing into a 15, 20-year run. Whether that will happen, I, I I doubt it, just because it's really hard to sustain that. But it could be, and that is more ideal than just you know the instant gratification of making a trade that might actually make you too top heavy in some ways. We've talked about this so many times. With I've been on your podcast before. We've talked about the Nets. Did they did it make sense for them to go for the Harden trade? And I remember saying initially, I, I almost wonder if it's too much. Do you need all of that? Now it would have been nice to have seen it play out without the questions about vaccinations and without. Durant being injured and without Harden being injured in a playoff run and Kyrie being injured in a playoff run. But, you know, it, it ultimately didn't work. And, you know, and we've seen them add on to that by getting Ben Simmons, which so far hasn't worked. So you can go a lot of ways with that. It might have worked out for Golden State, but it looks like this might work out too. It obviously validates the idea of not having used these assets you have because assets are also young players that can grow into great players, potentially. The other thing is D Derek White's are hard to find 
at the trade deadline. Like legit two-way perimeter players who can just step right in and fill a role. Usually you end up like plucking a Gary Harris or Terrence Ross or Alec Burks or somebody like that. And you're like, oh, this guy like helped us for a game. And then we don't really trust him after that for whatever reason. I'm even looking at like some of the rebuilding teams that might have thought about it. Like I'm even thinking about like, I would have maybe called about PJ Washington, like somebody like that, that maybe is not in Charlotte's plans long-term. I actually think PJ Washington is more likely in Charlotte's plans long-term after a nice year last year. But like, are you getting that guy? Is Charlotte just giving you that guy? And is he changing your life? Like Derek White's are are hard to find. The other thing is, look, you can say this is a, there's a, there's a little bit of luck here too. Um, the Warriors were never afraid of Phoenix. Like from last season, the Warriors were never afraid of Phoenix. They liked, they respected Phoenix. They didn't think that we're just going to like roll Phoenix, but they liked that matchup. They didn't worry too much about it. They said, look, at, at, at worst, it's a toss up, but we like our chances. They knew or bet Denver and the Clippers are gone this season. We have a little bit of a window here where we have this sort of in between team where maybe our veterans by themselves are going to be enough because those two teams are 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 not there. Utah is going to Utah. Dallas is rising. Like they, I, I think they've sensed a, a temporary window too, and that that has been proven proven right. I, I just haven't heard the trade that I I would have loved for them. I understand the appeal of Bradley Beal, but that's costing you Wiggins. Like one way or another, that's costing you Wiggins, the guy that people are um, a small minority of people anyway are talking up. As finals MVP, I think they played this right. I said it when they were down two to one. I, I I understand the sentiment of finding a guy. I think that sentiment is more fair. A, if you can identify who the capital G guy actually is, and B, I think it's even more fair on that Derek White level, scouring the league trying to find a guy like that. Which, admittedly, I haven't gone all in and, and done, but I'm sure you and I, given an hour could find a couple of guys on that level who were potentially realistic trades for them. They opted not to do it, and they're one win from the title. I I don't know what to expect in Game 6. I, I just don't know anymore. Uh, is there any X's and O's adjustment or issue or trend that you're going to have your eye on when the series goes back to Boston? My only one, really, and I, I didn't feel like I saw a ton of it, I think, really going back and looking at a lot of Steph's misses last night, they were just misses. Again, whether he was tired, whether, you know, the, the, the series has kind of worn him down a little bit. Um, it didn't feel like there were a ton of massive over-adjustments to him, which that was my concern going into game five to begin with, with Boston, is that this guy just skewered you for 43. He's beaten you up all series. Uh, particularly in game four, he was getting to the mid-range and the floater a couple of times, which it was like they were actually playing so far up on him that he was able to just dribble around Robert Williams. And so my fear was that you were going to start playing him even more aggressively. And the one thing I said all along, me and Michael Pina talked about this uh, a couple of days ago on Open Floor, was the idea that you start selling out too heavily on Steph and then everybody else beats you. Because then it's like you're trying to plug one hole and you're going to open up a whole bunch of other ones. And to some extent, I don't necessarily think that was because Boston overplayed Steph, um, but that was on some level what you saw yesterday. You saw Draymond develop a little bit more confidence and a little bit more aggression. Clay had his moments. Poole had his moments. Peyton had his moments. Um, and that doesn't even begin to you know 
really get into the idea of what you might be losing from an offensive rebounding standpoint, what you might be surrendering from an offensive rebounding standpoint by trying to chase Steph around even more than you already are. So, you know, Ime Yudoka put it best, I thought. It was a really interesting way. I think he was a little bit heavy-handed when he said we should be up at least 3-1 when he talked about being Did he say at maybe least? not content. He said at least. He, he said something like that with regards to how they basically like, yes, yeah, Steph is really killing us. But if we were doing what we need to do offensively, we'd be up at least 3-1. He said that after game four, which was an interesting phrasing. I don't see any person which they deserved to be up 4-0 uh, or not even up to have won the series in a sweep. I'm going to read uh, that generously and say that it's a coach speaking off the cuff a little bit in the middle of a stressful series. Sure. That does not actually sure. think that that's true. Sure, sure. So it's not to, to harp. But my point is that I, I actually agree with – generally with what he's saying is that they could have been up 3-1 despite how crazy step has been in the series as far as just how incredible he's been um and that's real if they were doing their job offensively if they weren't turning it over if they were just making the right reads the right plays um and the reality is that was not the case yesterday that's really what it comes down to we, we've harped on it but can they take better care of the ball can they make the the pass a little bit sooner and not go into the teeth of the defense, particularly as you said earlier, as Draymond is basically there waiting. Uh, it, it's weird to think of a six foot six guy at the rim just looking his chops, waiting for someone to uh, try him at the rim. But that's what it is sometimes, and uh, and you know, it oftentimes ends up with Brown losing the ball, with White, you know, flipping the ball somewhere, with Tatum, you know, looking for a foul, and it, it doesn't always uh, cash in that way. So. I'm just curious to see whether Boston can make the right reads, make the right plays. Can you get one or two more guys to step up in Horford and White? Pritchard didn't score yesterday, I don't think. So can you get one or two more of those guys involved along with Tatum playing better, with Brown playing better, and them taking care of the ball? And if they can, I think we'll have a game seven. Uh, if they can't, then you know we'll be talking about the Warriors even more as one of the, the great, great teams of all time. And where does, where does this put Steph historically? Yeah. I actually think Boston's – I'm, I'm a little torn on the Boston defense on Curry. My general takeaway is that it's been fine, and I don't mind yep. that they haven't blitzed and trapped. I actually don't think that's the right answer. In fact, both late in Game 4 and Game 5, they started trapping just, I think, to see what it looked like, and both times they got layups out of it, the Warriors did. Mm -hmm. I think – I, I Peyton scored on one of them, right? Yeah, I, I think they've been fine. That said, you know, again, they're scoring at a league-best rate with Curry on the floor. I even still think that's semi-manageable given that they're going to crater when Curry is off the floor. Like, I just haven't minded their defense on Curry. I don't want to blitz because I know what happens when I blitz him over and over again. I think they might, like, air 10% more on the side of mixing in some stuff. Like a blitz here and there, a switch here and there, but he's hurt switches. Other than Time Lord, if it's Horford or Grant Williams, he's done pretty well against those switches. The other thing, if I'm Golden State, they're only going to it three or four times a game, but that classic Warriors play where they enter the ball in the post and then they have one of their non shooters set an off ball screen for Steph or Clay, the Celtics don't seem ready for that play. Like their guy yep. is too low and too close to who's ever got the ball in the post. And they've missed a bunch of good looks on that. I I would bust that out just here and there and test the Celtics defense on it because I don't think the Celtics defense has been good on that play. And it's been mostly really, really good. Um, 
Can I tell you my favorite possession of the game before we go? Please, go ahead. If people want a look at, like, what I mean, what we mean by, like, how hard this is and how hard these teams have to work, there was a possession with about 220 left in the second quarter last night, and here's how it went. Curry, Payton, pick and roll. Because Horford is on Gary Payton, so they're trying to hunt Horford. Derek White gets over the screen pretty clean. He's been great at that all series. Horford comes up really high to deter the three. And Steph decides, all right, I'm going to drive it hard. And Al slides side by side with him as Gary Payton pops up to the top of the arc. He's contained. Okay, so here's the movie we've seen a million times. Steph's like, all right, I got nothing here. Kick the ball to Draymond in the right corner. Seen that a lot of times. We know what's coming. Draymond kicks the ball up to Gary Payton at the top of the arc, who's not guarded, because Draymond knows what's coming. Steph's going to relocate, and he's going to relocate around a Draymond Green flare screen or pin down or whatever you want to call it in the corner. Celtics see that coming. Marcus Smart switches onto Curry. Derek White switches onto Draymond Green. Instantaneously, instantaneously, they enter the ball to the post to Draymond. And as soon as that switch happens, there's no hesitation. Steph cuts back door, but towards the middle of the floor. And here's how he cuts, Chris. He literally ducks under Marcus Smart's arm and, like, cuts underneath his armpit, barely gets inside position. Draymond gives him the fall, and it's a shooting foul. Like, it's pretty, it's ugly, and it's, like, cutting under Marcus Smart's armpit is all I got because the Celtics are taking all this stuff away and I just got to make two free throws. I'm not getting a three. I'm not getting a layup. I'm not getting anything. I got to find a way to catapult myself off Marcus Smart's arm into the lane for a shoot. <laughs> I encourage anyone who wants to just see how exhausting this is for the Warriors and the Celtics and watch to watch that clip because it's a beautiful set of plays, but it's also like ugly and sweaty and gross and physical and not that fun. That's the finals, man. This, like you said, we haven't had a classic game. We haven't had a single-digit game come down to the wire. It hasn't been like super, super high drama, but the level of play is so high, even if it doesn't look that high because of how much stress the defenses are putting on the offense. It's been a, it's been a fun series in that regard. Yeah, the way you just described it. First of all, as soon as we're off this, uh, when I get a minute, I'm going to go back and, and look at that play. Um, but the way you just described it sounds like a Tom and Jerry cartoon where like, you know, uh, Damn, I'm gonna out myself here, and it's Tom. Tom is the cat. Tom's the cat, man. Come on, Tom cat. Tom's the cat. Jerry's the mouse. Hey, man. I'm at. At least I had it right one and two. I'd rather ask than just be wrong. But when when Jerry, I'm only like ninety percent sure I'm right. I'm speaking definitively. I'm like not a hundred percent sure (laughs) I'm right. (laughs) But you know the the idea that Jerry can make it through the hole, and you know, and and Tom can't, you know ends up with all the the stars going around his head because he's you know it smarts. It hurts. Marcus Smart. So anyway, there you go. It, it's been a it's been an entertaining series. It's been a fun series. It's been an unpredictable series, which is generally all you can ask for. People moan and complain every year about how it's predetermined every year uh, who's going to win. It hasn't felt like that for the last few years because the Warriors have not been the Warriors that we all knew from 2014 to 2019 or whatever it's been. So um, it's been amazing to watch them back. It's been amazing to see them in a dogfight of a series. And uh, I'm, 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 you know, selfishly hoping that it goes seven just because I think it would be cool to have a game seven uh, for a title with everything on the line. But I've really enjoyed it so far. It's been good to talk with you about it. There's nothing like a game seven. Uh, I'm tr- 
it, I'm. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But I will be. I'm going to Boston <laughs> tomorrow. I will be in town for Game Six. I hope it's a barn burner. Chris Herring, Open Floor Podcast. You have a newsletter that comes out every Tuesday. You are the the best selling author of Blood in the Garden, the story of the New York Knicks in the 1990s, which is outstanding. We've podcasted about it before. You write for SI.com. A man of many talents, Mr. Herring. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me, buddy. Good to talk to you. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.